What's up? What's up? It's the After the Snow podcast. I'm your co-host, Dave Mays, coming to you live from Chi-Town and my partner, Freeway Ricky Ross. You already know. What up, Dave? What's the word? What's the word, Rick? Where you at? I'm in L.A., man. That backdrop look like a picture, man. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it gets nice uh, when we get the sunset look when we record in the evening like this, man. It gets some beautiful, beautiful sunset. (laughs) I need to be in Chicago today. Was it was it hot today? Um, It was up in around the 80s. It wasn't too crazy. Um, But, you know, like especially down here, like we get so much nice breezes coming off the lake, um, you know, all through downtown and everything. And it's it's nice, man. It's really beautiful here. Yeah, it was a beautiful day here too. We was about 76, 77 with a little breeze. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like yeah. lovely here, man. Like one of those dream days, you know, that come once in, in, in every three or four years. So uh, Oh man. Nice. What'd you what would you do? I know you're out on the tennis court. I seen you earlier working with the kids, but what what else you get into? Anything? Uh, what else I do today, man? I, I made a delivery today of my, of my, of my weed, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Ross Runts. You know, we got the Ross Runts out. I'm thinking about changing that name, though, man. I, I was thinking Ross Runts is cool, but then I was saying the Ricky Ross Runts sound even better. What you think? Yeah, Triple R, Ricky Ross Runts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got I the like word it. from the city. I got the word from the city. I can go ahead and do my paperwork, open up my dispensary, so... I'm stoked Great. about that. Uh, you know, right now, man, I'm just just riding the wave. You know, like just having a ball, yeah. man. Life is good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hard work pay um, off. Absolutely, I keep at it. I'm on my way up. to Boston too. Your old stomping ground. Oh yeah, out to the Bean. What's going on out there? Well, you know, my brand is out there, but but I'm going out there for uh, for a speaking engagement. I'm, I'm going to be doing a couple speaking engagements uh, with some nonprofits, but I'm also going to drive by a couple of dispensaries that, that carry my product and, uh, you know, holler at them and show some appreciation of them uh, actually carrying my product. Because, you know, here in L.A., it's really tough, man, uh, for black products to get in stores. You know, they just not carrying our products. And and. I won't say that it's all racism, racism, you know, uh, some of it is economics, you know, because the guys with the big money, they buy shelf space, just like in, you know, in supermarkets, you know, uh, the big brands buy the best shelf space. Man, it just, it don't make no sense. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's so many, you know, black folks that got victimized by the drug laws for weed and, you know, all the other problems and, and, systemic racist you know things that's been you know uh shown to the world but then they'll go right back in legalize weed and and and, and you have to lock them out kind of stuff you, you're talking about man it's, lock them out yeah, they call they, them lock they, it out well they don't have to call it racism no more it's economics now you know oh you you can't afford mm-hmm. it yeah you know so okay. just just another form you know yeah but that's but we, you know we're gonna fight through. They got yeah, one. Exactly. They, no break. they got one who don't care about having no money. You know what I'm saying? I like fighting through without no money. I like going against the odds. So uh Yeah. I'm up against it. And you know, you know, you went up against all the big publishing companies and 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 everybody. So 
You know how tough that again, right, 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 right now. You know how many people's all these companies putting hundreds of millions into podcasting, Spotify and Apple and Comcast. I mean, all these people pouring money into the podcast game. So you know, there's heavy, heavy competition, but they they they're not doing what what we're doing, you know, and how we're doing it, and uh, that's going to make all the difference. So. No doubt, no yeah. doubt. Shout out to Bill Bellamy was on Breakfast Club. You know what I'm saying? Uh, another yeah. one of the family members. You know, our family yeah. growing, man. We got we got people with clout too. Exactly, man. Shout out to Bill, man. Bill's he's a you know he's an incredible talent, hilarious, but he's a he's a hip hop guy. You know, for for years he's hip hop to the you know to the bone. So you know that's what makes him such a great you know, asset in the breakbeat family. And me and him been spending a lot of time, you know, just talking about the vision of the platform and what we can accomplish, you know, to do for the culture really and bringing new, new important voices and perspectives and information, you know, and getting it out to the people. So, um, yeah, yeah. Bill had a great look. They had him up on the breakfast club. Shout out to, uh, the Breakfast Club, Angela Yee, DJ Envy, and Charlemagne for uh, having Bill up there. And, um, yeah, man. And I've been moving. trying to get on that thing, man, since they had the rapper on there. And he talked all that all that junk about me. I've been trying to get on there and, and uh, rebut all of his all of his false statements. You know what I'm saying? But uh, so far, I haven't been able to do that. Um, That's crazy, man. I got I to talk to um, – I'm going to talk to our guy, Amir, you know, has been helping us get all this stuff set up. I, I know he had talked to them, you know, when we first launched our podcast earlier this year. I know you did, you know, you did Ebro, but you didn't do um, Breakfast Club. I got to say. No, we did a lot. Of, he had me doing a lot of stuff, you know, places yeah. that I had never been before. So, so that was good, you know, to get to talk to some new people. Because you get tired yeah. of talking about the same you know, they ask you the same story over and over again. You'd be like, come on, man, I already answered that. <laughs> Let's do something new, you know? Right, right. So, um, well, cool, man. Let's, let's, if, if you've got, you know, if you don't have anything else you want to cover, let's, let's jump into uh, Snowfall Season 2, Episode That's 3. For. That's what we're here for. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into the, the title of the episode. Usually we mention it, um, but... Uh, this one uh, is a little little more to explain, I guess, about it. So the, the title of, of uh, the episode is Prometheus Rising. Um, so, of course, I had to go look up Prometheus. I knew, you know, he was like a Greek god or something did. like that. I'm glad you did because <laughs> I wouldn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Gr- Prometheus was a Greek god, like the god of fire. And um, he basically stole fire and gave it to mankind through they say through technology knowledge introducing civilization into human existence that type of thing and then he was uh you know then he was uh tortured for uh doing that um but when i read a little bit more into it um i i I saw a parallel where they his story is basically a story saying that like you know, if you want to improve things in our world and make it better, um, you know, that can also end in tragedy. 
um, you know, which is him being tortured for what he did to try to help, you know, civilization. But so what I got from that was like kind of like, you know, the means to an end type of thing going on here where it's like, you know, this crack is taken off and, you know, there's, you know, potential and obviously damage to the community that that begins to occur and gets, you know, worse as we've learned, you know, looking back in, in retrospect. Um, and, um, you know, but, you know, there's a greater picture like, you know, they're trying to do this. They, they still have goals and they're up against, you know, the the you know the the poverty and all the other obstacles of trying to to make it out of South Central um, at at that time in the eighties. Um, so that's what I got out of, out of the title Prometheus Rising. I don't know what, what you think. I don't know that. I mean that's 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 interesting. You know that that you say that and and you know we used to kind of say when we were in the, in in the game like when you when you when you strike a spot up you set it on fire. You know, like you lit that spot up, you know, a lot of people, that mean a lot of people was coming, you know, they, they was checking in, you know, spending that money. So um, it kind of goes together. I, I, I kind of get the, the picture now that you explained it to me, what, what, what it means. Right. Right. Yeah. They put, they, you know, some of their titles, they, they put some real thought into, you know, some of them aren't as, as deep as that, but um, there are some interesting ones. So um so yeah, let's let's talk about the um you know the episode. Um it's you know, it's probably not the most excitement, um, but there are some interesting a lot of interesting twists and turns that are are are, are taking place. Um it starts off with uh Franklin. Uh you know, he was in bed with the girl next door, Melody. She finds the, his gun when he's in the bathroom. And uh, he tells her, you know, yeah, that's Jerome's idea for me to be careful. And, um, you know, she's worrying about him and trying to understand what kind of danger he's in. Um, So that that's the first scene. And um, then they then they show Teddy and his brother, Matt. They're on a plane flying to Columbia, having a a good old time and telling jokes and, uh, you know, not really sure what they're getting into, um, which we'll see in this episode as well. So that's kind of me, their, their storyline. That was the most exciting part of the show to me with uh, of this particular show. You know, was was Teddy and his brother sitting there with the uh, with the cartel, and and they going back and forth about whose country is a piece of shit and and whose country is not a piece of shit, and and, and so forth. Right. Um, to see Teddy and him still stand up under that type of pressure uh, was, was to me, was interesting. You know, most people would yeah, under yeah. that kind of pressure. Yeah, Teddy, um, you know, yeah, Teddy is showing his, uh, you know, his courageous side, I guess. And, um, you know, he, he tries talking shit while he's got, you know, like 20 armed guys surrounding him and his, his brother. And they, they kind of, beat him up a little bit because he's he's talking back to them and he's impatient um but uh yeah they have that conversation where uh the colombian guys are basically talking shit about america 
And, um, you know, again, this is where this Snowfall show gets into putting out, you know, some perspectives that I think are are valuable and, and needed to, you know, be understood more by the mainstream. So, yeah, one of the uh, Colombians is like, yeah, you know, your country murdered the Indians. You chained the blacks. You pissed on the Vatos. So, you know, basically fuck America. Like, you know, don't come down here talking about, you know, talking shit about Colombia and, uh, you know, when your country did all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. And, and like I said, that's the type of perspective that, you know, is important that it's it's shared uh, in a mainstream way. Um, I still think that, you know, a lot of people just just can't put things in perspective, you know, like that. Uh, in understanding the way of the world today and how it's all, you know, it's all connected and, um, you know, the history of all this stuff here. I can definitely relate to um, to those statements because for me, you know, I know that I have lived the black American dream, you know, from uh, going to prison you know, uh, uh, in the court system, you know, having a, literally an all-white jury, one one Hispanic person, you know, no blacks, uh, which was heartbreaking. You know what I'm saying? You, you when you think a jury of your peers, you would think that uh, you would definitely have somebody on there that uh, that resembles uh, resemble yourself, but that wasn't yeah. the case. Uh, I've experienced black and white bathrooms, you know. Hmm. In my lifetime, you know, I've been told, hey, you can't use that bathroom because of your color, your skin. Um, wow, man. It's just so, so many things that that, that we have had to uh, experience in this country that I know when 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 blacks saw that when they saw that scene, they were like, yeah, you're right. You know, you're right for telling Teddy because you know some sometimes that 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 there's things that people want to say and they don't have the courage or the words to put it in. But when they see somebody else express that feeling that they have, you know, they're going, "Yeah, right on, Black Power." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I can definitely relate to that to that scene. You know, uh, um, with kudos. For the Colombians yeah. and, and the Mexican cartels. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much Teddy's storyline for the episode is his trip down there. The, the the one last part about it that I thought was was funny, after they, they give that whole thing about how terrible America is, then they're, like, sitting down. When, when he finally gets to meet with the main dudes and they're – you know, chopping it up, trying to get everything worked out. They're like, okay, but we need a few extra favors. <laughs> we need 25 copies of Michael Jackson's Thriller album. <laughs> we need some Cabbage Patch dolls, some sheepskin condoms, and those Christmas lights. Like, So it's like on the one hand, you, you're talking shit about America, but then the next thing is you want all these material uh, items uh, from America and American culture. So they balance it with that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, um, but it's, it's also making another statement that, 
you know, America has the ability to be, you know, one of the greatest countries ever, you know, if it can can contain itself and contain its racism and, and its bias, you know, for others. That's right. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I, I believe we can we can get there. You know, it's 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 been a long road, but I, I believe we can get there with the right right things uh, happening. So. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of Teddy and his brother. They fly back and they have some more, you know, some more conversations about everything. Um, his brother doesn't like, you know, Teddy thinking he should make all the decisions. He's like, you damn near just almost got us killed. I'm the one that, that got us out of everything. So, <laughs> um, you know, we promised him visas and Teddy's got to figure out how he's going to get visas for them as, as, as well now that he – supposedly don't have his government hookup like like uh he used to well um, you know that kind of that kind of relates to my case too you know in my case um they they forged my informant's green card they gave him the illegal green card yeah huh. so that kind of yeah. you know not really relate but kind of you know just surfacing you know you know where where uh because they couldn't come out and say you know uh what well, they could have came and said that the the INS agent uh, cooperated with the CIA agent and, and gave him a fake green card, you know, hmm. that would have been too hmm. obvious, I guess. Right, right, right. Interesting, interesting. But yeah, you know, we had that situation did. in in our thing, and um, they didn't fire the INS the INS agent for doing it, but they they definitely promoted him, so he can't issue our hmm. green cards anymore. Hmm. He Got wasn't it. trustworthy to handle the green card issue. He might have been taking the pay. <laughs> right. We don't know how many green cards he had issued out illegally. So the other the, the other thing that's going on in this episode is, you know, dealing with uh, the two guys, young dealers on the street over there in the Mexican neighborhood that got killed, stabbed up by uh, one of the, you know, the Mexican cartel guys. And, um, you know, Kevin finds out about it. It's his cousin, um, you know, that he's very close to. He's one of the ones that got killed. He's flipping out. He wants to take revenge. Immediately, um, he gets Leon and Jerome all, you know, gassed up and they, load up the car with guns and they head over there and nobody knows where Franklin is yet. You know, fuck it. We got to do this. Fuck Franklin. And, um, luckily Louie, uh, hooks up with Franklin and brings him, brings him over there. And Franklin shuts, shuts down their, their play that they were trying to make, uh, just, you know, what could have ended up them just randomly shooting up a bunch of people in the Mexican neighborhood. Um, you know, as a way of trying to get back for what, what happened to them or to their, you know, to their people. Yeah, innocent people would have got killed. Uh, lucky yeah. Louie had the, the cool head to, to, to get that squashed. Um, I can remember incidents, you know, similar. Not exactly like that, but, you know, incidents where, where, where uh, a lot of people could have got hurt. Let me say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so somebody got to have a cool head. It was good that Franklin was even able to, to calm him down. You know, I'm surprised that uh, 
that they took to his word so so easily. When I try to yeah. cool my guys down, it was a lot harder than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Kev is the one that, that he hasn't been able to quiet down. Um, we see them, you know, at odds throughout the rest of the episode. Um, but it was interesting to see. I mean, Jerome kind of, you know, took a little responsibility um, for messing up. and But really, Leon was the one who came up to um, Franklin at one point and said, hey, man, you know, I screwed up. I should have never gotten that car. I shouldn't have, you know, you know, allowed all this to happen. You were right in how you handled it. You shouldn't feel bad. Kev was out of, out of line. And, um, you know, that was interesting. Jerome, it, uh, Franklin had to scream on him because, you know, when they're back at the house and it's all, you know, everybody's, you know, talking, you know, really arguing about the situation. Um, and it comes out that these were the two guys dealing at Pico Union. Franklin's like, I thought we said don't sell in that Mexican neighborhood. And Jerome's like, well, I told him not to, but I can't, you know. And Franklin's like, no, buddy, like you got to, if we tell somebody they, that, that, that they got to do something, we need to make sure they follow the rules and, you know, no, no excuses type of thing. So he was, he was really on on Jerome about that. Yeah, that was, um, you know, that was, that was interesting, but uh, to me it was kind of, kind of slow for the movie. You know, it, it, it slowed it down. It wasn't uh, moving at a pace that, uh, that I would have liked for it to move to, you know, I, I, I thought it was a lot more things that could have been added in there uh, that would have kept it going strong. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's my opinion. <laughs> well, you know, you know what um, it made me think about, you know, what I when I t- st- took a step back and just kind of thought about the episode as a whole. Um, you know, you're seeing Franklin kind of, you know, emerging to another level of, of leadership in building this organization awesome and up. having to. Yeah. Having to come in and shut that down, having to put people in their place, having to, you know, do different things. Um, and, you know, that made me start thinking about like stuff I know I went through and I'm sure you went through like, you know, becoming a boss, how you deal with business partners, how you deal with your employees and family members. Which are some of the the toughest. Yeah. The challenges within, within all of those. Cause you know, I've dealt with that my whole career is, you know, how to manage employees, how to manage, you know, your your relationships with your partners or people that you're doing business with and how, you know, difficult that can be, challenging that can be. Can you um, separate family from business? That's that, you know, that's one of the toughest things that I've had to deal with is people understanding because you make a business decision, it's not a family decision. You know, a lot of times you make a call and, and, you know, it's against that person and they take it as if it was a call against the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you've been through that too. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm going through that right now today, you know, having to make decisions that uh, are not favorable to the family. You know, the family disagrees with it, but at the same time, you know, that, um, uh, this decision is going to help the business. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it looks like you might be turning your back on the family. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then just, yeah, like, you know, just, just dealing with, you know, how do you keep people motivated within your organization? How do you balance, you know, between encouraging them, but also, you know, kind of making sure that things are getting done right. Um, and everything's, you know, being thorough because you got, you know, to, to succeed in business, you got to be thorough. You got to be thorough if you want to really succeed in a big way and in the long run. Um, you know, it's very hard to be successful and, and have a lot of loose ends and cutting corners. You know, you can do that for only but so long. Um, at least in my experience, I found, you know, you got to be really on top of that. And, and the people well, it all is, up. If you're cutting corners, it's going to catch up. Yeah. You know, you can only hide so long, you know. They say what's in the dark will come to the light. So uh, you're absolutely correct. You you can't cut corners. You can't be hiding behind the desk or, you know, ducking out, you know, when the boss comes. All that all that stuff eventually comes to a head and, and everybody's going to see you for what it is. So to just kind of get into what happens in the last, I guess, the last part of the episode you know, the the killing of the guys by the Mexicans opens the door for Franklin to uh, reach out to Lucia um, because we remember, like last episode, Lucia had discovered the crack rock that the guys were selling out there in the Mexican neighborhood. She came back around, bought it all out, gave them her card. She's trying to find out how to get this crack rock so she can broker it into all the Mexican um, territories with the people that she's been linking up with these, you know, heads of these Mexican gangs and cartels there. Um, so when they put that together, that this is where it happened, Franklin's like, well, man, you know, you didn't think to call, you know, this person, like she, she probably knows what's going on. And he makes the call and they agree to uh, set up a meeting uh, in the park uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the park. They they said, uh, let's see if you knew the park. Um, I thought I wrote it down. Uh, yeah, I can't find it. But in any event, they, um, they agree to meet up in the park. And uh, so Franklin, uh, Jerome, Kev, and Leon head out to the park and Lucia and Oso show up and course franklin and leon recognized also from seeing him at the wrestling and of course franklin had run into also uh when he was out there getting you know uh cornered in the, yes yes <laughs> about um, to be executed saved, has saved his ass um but uh franklin and lucia go have a conversation franklin's trying to get information on who's responsible for killing, uh, you know, his family members or Kev's family members and, you know, wants to know what's going to be done to fix it. Uh, she's basically telling him, they'll, you know, they'll, the guy who did it is like one of the most powerful people in the city and you'll have, you know, all hell will break loose if you try to do something. But I'll, I'll try to find out, you know, more specifics. But mainly she wants to make a deal with him um, uh, on buying the crack rock or I guess eventually trying to figure out how to make it herself. But it seemed you like know, in the beginning. What I was wondering is how would she have known who, who committed the murder? I mean, I do know that she told him that they, they were down there selling, but does that alone um, 
show evidence of her knowing uh, who did it? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's I guess that's true. Um, but she did say she didn't really know. She probably knows that's his territory because she said, I'm, I'm going to look into it and try to gotcha. find out more details. So maybe gotcha. she had an idea, but was going to make a couple calls to, you know, to really check it out and find out what happened, um, which I think she does later when she comes back to him is kind of telling him, oh, you know, they they didn't get castrated because, you know, they're hearing Franklin and Kevin, them are hearing that they castrated them. And, you know, this was, you know, just crazy. And uh, she's saying that didn't happen. But uh, nevertheless, this is what opens up the connection now between uh, Lucia and also and Franklin to start doing business together. Um, so, you know, we're going to see we're going to see where that where that leads. Um, um, meanwhile, go ahead. I guess that they 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 also show how small the drug circle was, you know, that um these are really the only two people that we know in LA that's inside the drug business and and now um they bumped heads you know for whatever reason it was um they're now acquainted with each other so mm-hmm. the drugs have brought, really the drugs brought them together mm-hmm. i would say mhm um pedro's back you know, we saw that last episode and now he's decided he wants to he wants to hang around. He wants to be part of the business and he's got this new woman he's about to marry. Um, you know, Lucia has a guy who's been investigating, trying to find Pedro for all these months. And uh, she's talking to him and he's telling her, well, yeah, Pedro, you know, she's like, well, how did you know, how did you get away? You found out he was just in Texas and. You know, Arizona, he was all right around here and you couldn't find him all this time. Oh, you know, he did. He was really smart. He only used cash. And he's telling Lucia that he checked out the girlfriend and got her background. And, you know, she's basically nobody. Um, And uh, so, you know, I think there's still a lot of concern about that. Um, Also goes to meet someone. I was trying to figure out, is that like, was it like a palm reader type of woman? Remember he goes to see the woman or was it a family member that's kind of giving him this advice about what's going on with, you know, who to be worried about and, you know, all that kind of thing. That was an interesting scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of Hispanic people, they, they, they use, um, fortune tellers, I guess it is, or palm readers, card readers to uh, help them make decisions. I know a lot of the cartel members uh, also use that type of uh, uh, system to uh, help them make their decisions. Right. My, mom used to, my mom used to use them as well. You know, I've been to, to those type of people. Uh, my mom, them call them prophesiders. You know, they, they can prophesize your future, what, what, what they see coming to you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes those people are right. You know, I, I've been read a few times, you know, and, um, and what they said <laughs> came true. Interesting. I never, yeah, I don't think I ever really, I've never, never really <laughs> sat through, sat through one of those, but, you know, right. I don't know. I right. guess it's some talents that some people have, um, 
it's almost like they read your mind almost, you know, they can just sit there and just, just pick you, you know, pick you apart. Yeah. Um, the last kind of theme that I noticed that came out in a couple parts of this episode um, was just, you know, the idea of young men growing up without fathers, because first it comes up, I think, when Leon and Franklin are talking about Kevin and Leon said something like, yeah, we know Kev didn't grow up with, you know, a dad and he's a little, you know, off sometimes or whatever he was saying. And then Franklin was like, but neither did you. And look how, you know, look at you. Um, And then it also came up when Oso and Lucia were talking about, um, were talking about things and, uh, you know, they were talking about like the killing of those kids and the guy that did it. And, and I guess that, that that guy's a bad guy. And there was some some mention within there about like, you know, uh, those kind of men are just in this for the glory. And, you know, but, you know, Lucia's like, but, yeah, they need to be teaching kids to grow up as fathers and not killers was kind of the, the words that she used. So to me, those are similar kind of storylines in this episode, trying to bring out, you know, bring up this idea that, uh, you know, growing up without a strong father figure can can have, you know, a, a detrimental effect. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would attest to that as well. Um, it was only, I think, two of us that grew up in our group that had fathers, you know, still living in the house and. um Amazing. Neither one of those guys went to prison for a long time. I don't know what that attributes to, you know, was it the father being there or, or you know, having the the, the ability to uh, <clears throat> put their money in the right place, you know, at the right time, you know, having somebody to guide them. Um, but, you know, so many things that a father would do for a son that uh, that I really had to learn on the streets, you know, from somebody that. Uh, that I didn't know, you know, and, and a lot of times those people take advantage of you. You know, they don't have your best interests at heart. Uh, they're in it for, for your money. And, um, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I, I've glossed over it, but that scene where Franklin slaps Kevin and Kev pulls a gun out on him. I thought we should at least just touch on that. That was, that was kind of, kind of wild what'd you think of that yeah um why it was wild i mean it it wouldn't wouldn't have been something i would have did as as a boss you know um we had pretty much i felt they'd already squashed the 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 drive-by situation um kev was still venting and i i felt that he should have been allowed to vent as long as he didn't take any actions and and at that time, I didn't see him um, ready or, or willing to take any action right, right, right then and there. I mean, he was still talking, you know, crazy, but um, I don't know if a slap was the, was the appropriate thing to do at that time. Right, right. Um, and Franklin's lucky well, he didn't get shot. You know, yeah. you slap the wrong guy, and uh, they kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Well, before we wrap, I, the, the very, very last scene of the episode, they show Franklin's dad. Uh, they showed him in the beginning and then right at the end again, you know, that he's out on the street, he's homeless. Um, and I guess he's living where a bunch of homeless people were. It looks like kind of under a, a freeway uh, underpass type of thing. And the police are lining up to just, you know, go in there and throw these homeless people out, beat them up, tear their stuff down, burn their stuff up. I mean, it was it was pretty, pretty nasty um, graphic scene at the very end. So I wanted to get your take on that and just, you know, your recollections of, you know, the use of this kind of heavy police force back in in uh, in the day. Well, you know what? I didn't really remember the homeless population. Uh, you know, we had Skid Row at that time, but it wasn't um, nowhere near like it is right now. You know, it was uh, a sector or town where uh, people, you know, hung out around the bus station that was homeless. Um, and I know at those places, they sold a lot of cocaine, heroin, pills. You know, it was kind of like a hot spot for, for if you wanted to sell some drugs. Uh, but I never knew the cops to uh, to attack them like they do right now. You know, now they come out with these bulldozers and uh, uh, army, you know, a force of, of, of police officers. And and they, they literally tear these tents down and, you know, houses made out of, of scrap wood and tires and couches and mattresses, just whatever these people can scrap together. Uh, they make houses out of them and... and um, it's an eyesore for the community, you know. I mean, they have one right here at the edge of my street, you know. And and even though I feel sorry for the homeless, you know, nobody wants you know that type of uh, activity right on their own street. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, um, this was uh, a recap and analysis of Snowfall season two, episode three. Um, as part of, you know, the weekly after the snow podcast that, uh, we host here. I'm, I'm Dave Mays and I got freeway Rick Ross, my partner in this, uh, you know, in this venture and this journey we're on after the snow. And, um, we want to thank you guys for checking us out. You can, you know, go to, uh, the breakbeat media YouTube and watch us if you're listening um, on uh, any of the podcast apps, you can listen to us, uh, Apple, Spotify, and so on down the line. Check us out every week. No doubt. No doubt. Hopefully next week going to be better, more exciting, more action, because I know that's what you guys are looking for. And we're going to break yes. it down for you. That's what's up. Hey, Dave, thank you again, as always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Rick, man. Appreciate you.